the Princess Kuan Yin. Once upon a time in China, there lived a certain king who had three daughters. The fairest and best of these was Kuan Yin, the youngest. The old king was justly proud of this daughter, for of all the women who had ever lived in the palace, she was by far the most attractive. It did not take him long, therefore, to decide that she should be the heir to his throne and her husband ruler of his kingdom. But, strange to say, Kuan Yin was not pleased at this good fortune. She cared little for the pomp and splendour of court life. She foresaw no pleasure for herself in ruling as a queen, but even feared that in so high a station she might feel out of place and unhappy. Every day she went to her room to read and study. As a result of this daily labour, she soon went far beyond her sisters along the paths of knowledge, and her name was known in the farthest corner of the kingdom as Kuan Yin, the wise princess. Besides being very fond of books, Kuan Yin was thoughtful of her friends. She was careful about her behaviour both in public and in private. Her warm heart was open at all times to the cries of those in trouble. She was kind to the poor and suffering. She won the love of the lower classes and was to them a sort of goddess to whom they could appeal whenever they were hungry and in need. Some people even believed that she was a fairy who had come to earth from her home within the western heaven. While others said that once, long years before, she had lived in the world as a prince instead of a princess. However this may be, one thing is certain. Kuan Yin was pure and good, and well deserved the praises that were showered upon her. One day the king called this favourite daughter to the royal bedside, for he felt that the hour of death was drawing near. Kuan Yin kowtowed before her royal father, kneeling and touching her forehead on the floor in sign of deepest reverence. The old man bade her rise and come closer. Taking her hand tenderly in his own, he said, Daughter, you know well how I love you. Your modesty and virtue, your talent and your love of knowledge have made you first in my heart. As you know already, I chose you as heir to my kingdom long ago. I promised that your husband should be made ruler in my stead. The time is almost ripe for me to ascend upon the dragon and become a guest on high. It is necessary that you be given at once in marriage. But, most exalted father, faltered the princess, I am not ready to be married. Not ready, child. Why are you not eighteen? Are not the daughters of our nation often wedded long before they reach that age? Because of your desire for learning, I have spared you thus far from any thought of a husband, but now we can wait no longer. Royal father, hear your child, and do not compel her to give up her dearest pleasures. Let her go into a quiet convent where she may lead a life of study. The king sighed deeply at hearing these words. He loved his daughter and did not wish to wound her. Kuan Yin, he continued, do you wish to pass by the green spring of youth to give up this mighty kingdom? Do you wish to enter the doors of a convent where women say farewell to life and all its pleasures? No, your father will not permit this. It grieves me sorely to disappoint you, but one month from this very day you shall be married. I have chosen for your royal partner a man of many noble parts. You know him by name already, although you have not seen him. Remember that of the hundred virtues filial conduct is the chief, and that you owe more to me than to all else on earth. Kuan Yin turned pale. Trembling, she would have sunk to the floor, but her mother and sisters supported her, and by their tender care brought her back to consciousness. Every day of the month that followed, Kuan Yin's relatives begged her to give up what they called her foolish notion. 
Her sisters had long since given up hope of becoming queen. They were amazed at her stupidity. The very thought of anyone's choosing a convent instead of a throne was to them a sure sign of madness. Over and over again, they asked her reason for making so strange a choice. To every question, she shook her head, replying, A voice from the heavens speaks to me, and I must obey it. On the eve of the wedding day, Kuan Yin slipped out of the palace, and after a weary journey, arrived at a convent called the Cloister of the White Sparrow. She was dressed as a poor maiden. She said she wished to become a nun. The abbess, not knowing who she was, did not receive her kindly. Indeed, she told Kuan Yin that they could not receive her into the sisterhood, that the building was full. Finally, after Kuan Yin had shed many tears, the abbess let her enter, but only as a sort of servant, who might be cast out for the slightest fault. Now that Kuan Yin found herself in the life which she had long dreamt of leading, she tried to be satisfied, but the nuns seemed to wish to make her stay among them most miserable. They gave her the hardest task to do, and it was seldom that she had a minute to rest. All day long she was busy, carrying water from a well at the foot of the convent hill or gathering wood from a neighbouring forest. At night, when her back was almost breaking, she was given many extra tasks, enough to have crushed the spirit of any other woman than this brave daughter of a king. Forgetting her grief and trying to hide the lines of pain that sometimes wrinkled her fair forehead, she tried to make these hard-hearted women love her. In return for their rough words, she spoke to them kindly, and never did she give way to anger. One day, while poor Kuan Yin was picking up brushwood in the forest, she heard a tiger making his way through the bushes. Having no means of defending herself, she breathed a silent prayer to the gods for help and calmly awaited the coming of the great beast. To her surprise, when the bloodthirsty animal appeared, instead of bounding up to tear her in pieces, he began to make a soft purring noise. He did not try to hurt Kuan Yin, but rubbed against her in a friendly manner and let her pat him on the head. The next day, the princess went back to the same spot. There she found no fewer than a dozen savage beasts working under the command of the friendly tiger, gathering wood for her. In a short time enough, brush and firewood had been piled up to last the convent for six months. Thus, even the wild animals of the forest were better able to judge of her goodness than the women of the sisterhood. At another time, when Kuan Yin was toiling up the hill for the twentieth time, carrying two great pails of water on a pole, an enormous dragon faced her in the road. Now in China, the dragon is sacred, and Kuan Yin was not at all frightened, for she knew that she had done no wrong. The animal looked at her for a moment, switched its horrid tail and shot out fire from its nostrils. Then, dashing the burden from the startled maiden's shoulder, it vanished. Full of fear, Kuan Yin hurried up the hill to the nunnery. As she drew near the inner court, she was amazed to see in the centre of the open space a new building of solid stone. It had sprung up by magic since her last journey down the hill. On going forward, she saw that there were four arched doorways to the fairy house. Above the door facing west was a tablet with these words written on it. In honour of Kuan Yin, the faithful princess. Inside was a well of the purest water, while for drawing this water, there a strange machine, the like of which neither Kuan Yin nor the nuns had ever seen. The sisters knew that this magic well was a monument to Kuan Yin's goodness. For a few days, they treated her much better. 
Since the gods have dug a well at our very gate, they said, this girl will no longer need to bear water from the foot of the hill. For what strange reason, however, did the gods write this beggar's name on the stone? Kuan Yin heard their unkind remarks in silence. She could have explained the meaning of the dragon's gift, but she chose to let her companions remain in ignorance. At last, the selfish nuns began to grow careless again and treated her even worse than before. They could not bear to see the poor girl enjoy a moment's idleness. This is a place for work, they told her. All of us have laboured hard to win our present station. You must do likewise. So they robbed her of every chance for study and prayer and gave her no credit for the magic well. One night the sisters were awakened from their sleep by strange noises and soon they heard outside the walls of the compound the blare of a trumpet. A great army had been sent by Kuan Yin's father to attack the convent for his spies had at last been able to trace the runaway princess to this holy retreat. Oh, who has brought this woe upon us? exclaimed all the women, looking at each other in great fear. Who has done this great evil? There is one among us who has sinned most terribly, and now the gods are about to destroy us. They gazed at one another, but no one thought of Kuan Yin, for they did not believe her of enough importance to attract the anger of heaven, even though she might have done the most shocking of deeds. Then, too, she had been so meek and lowly while in their holy order that they did not once dream of charging her with any crime. The threatening sounds outside grew louder and louder. All at once a fearful cry arose among the women. They are about to burn our sacred dwelling. Smoke was rising just beyond the enclosure where the soldiers were kindling a great fire, the heat of which would soon be great enough to make the convent walls crumble into dust. Suddenly a voice was heard above the tumult of the weeping sisters. Alas, I am the cause of all this trouble. The nuns, turning in amazement, saw that it was Kuan Yin who was speaking. You? they exclaimed astounded. Yes, I, for I am indeed the daughter of a king. My father did not wish me to take the vows of this holy order. I fled from the palace. He has sent his army here to burn these buildings and to drag me back a prisoner. Then see what you have brought upon us, miserable girl, exclaimed the abbess. See how you have repaid our kindness. Our buildings will be burned above our heads. How wretched you have made us. May heaven's curses rest upon you. No, no, exclaimed Kuan Yin, springing up and trying to keep the abbess from speaking these frightful words. You have no right to say that, for I am innocent of evil. But wait, you shall soon see whose prayers the gods will answer, yours or mine. So saying, she pressed her forehead to the floor, praying the almighty powers to save the convent and the sisters. Outside, the crackling of the greedy flames could already be heard. The fire king would soon destroy every building on that hilltop. Mad with terror, the sisters prepared to leave the compound and give up all their belongings to the cruel flames and still more cruel soldiers. Kuan Yin alone remained in the room, praying earnestly for help. Suddenly a soft breeze sprang up from the neighbouring forest. Dark clouds gathered overhead, and although it was the dry season, a drenching shower descended on the flames. Within five minutes the fire was put out and the convent was saved. Just as the shivering nuns were thanking Kuan Yin for the divine help she had brought them, two soldiers who had scaled the outer wall of the compound came in and roughly asked for the princess. The trembling girl, knowing that these men were obeying her father's orders, poured out a prayer to the gods and straightway made herself known. They dragged her from the presence of the nuns who had just begun to love her. 
Thus disgraced before her father's army, she was taken to the capital. On the morrow, she was led before the old king. The father gazed sadly at his daughter, and then the stern look of a judge hardened his face as he beckoned the guards to bring her forward. From a neighbouring room came the sounds of sweet music. A feast was being served there amid great splendour. The loud laughter of the guests reached the ears of the young girl as she bowed in disgrace before her father's throne. She knew that this feast had been prepared for her and that her father was willing to give her one more chance. Girl, said the king, at last regaining his voice, in leaving the royal palace on the eve of your wedding day, not only did you insult your father but your king. For this act you deserve to die. However, because of the excellent record you had made for yourself before you ran away, I have decided to give you one more chance to redeem yourself. Refuse me, and the penalty is death. Obey me, and all may yet be well. The kingdom that you spurned is still yours for the asking. All that I require is your marriage to the man whom I have chosen. And when, most august king, would you have me decide? Asked Kuan Yin earnestly. This very day, this very hour, this very moment, he answered sternly. What? Would you hesitate between love upon a throne and death? Speak, my daughter, tell me that you love me, and will do my bidding. It was now all that Kuan Yin could do to keep from throwing herself at her father's feet and yielding to his wishes, not because he offered her a kingdom, but because she loved him and would gladly have made him happy. But her strong will kept her from relenting. No power on earth could have stayed her from doing what she thought her duty. Beloved father, she answered sadly, and her voice was full of tenderness. It is not a question of my love for you. Of that there is no question, for all my life I have shown it in every action. Believe me, if I were free to do your bidding, gladly would I make you happy. But a voice from the gods has spoken, has commanded that I remain a virgin, that I devote my life to deeds of mercy. When heaven itself has commanded, what can even a princess do but listen to that power which rules the earth? The old king was far from satisfied with Kuan Yin's answer. He grew furious. His thin, wrinkled skin turned purple as the hot blood rose to his head. Then you refuse to do my bidding. Take her, men. Give to her the death that is due to a traitor to the king. As they bore Kuan Yin away from his presence, the white-haired monarch fell, swooning from his chair. That night, when Kuan Yin was put to death, she descended into the lower world of torture. No sooner had she set foot in that dark country of the dead than the vast region of endless punishment suddenly blossomed forth and became like the gardens of paradise. Pure white lilies sprang up on every side and the odour of a million flowers filled all the rooms and corridors. King Yama, ruler of the Dominion, rushed forth to learn the cause of this wonderful change. No sooner did his eyes rest upon the fair young face of Kuan Yin than he saw in her the emblem of a purity which deserved no home but heaven. Beautiful virgin, doer of many mercies, he began, after addressing her by her title, I beg you in the name of justice to depart from this bloody kingdom. It is not right that the fairest flower of heaven should enter and shed her fragrance in these halls. Guilt must suffer here and sin find no reward. Depart thou then from my dominion. The peach of immortal life shall be bestowed upon you, and heaven alone shall be your dwelling place. Thus Kuan Yin became the goddess of mercy. Thus she entered into that glad abode, surpassing all earthly kings and queens. 
And ever since that time, on account of her exceeding goodness, thousands of poor people breathe out to her each year their prayers for mercy. There is no fear in their gaze as they look at her beautiful image, for their eyes are filled with tears of love.